because he raised from the dead, we're, we can be raised. Not just raised from the dead, but raised from anything we'll ever struggle with. Jesus is awesome. Amen? Somebody say praise the Lord. I am going to do a special Mother's Day message uh, for uh, ladies that would like to get pregnant that have been unable to. I did this last year. Um, there are women that would love to get pregnant. They try everything and they're unable. But I believe God will, uh, will do that for ladies. Amen? Uh, God's in the miracle working business. Last year we did that and we had somebody in the month of September get pregnant and she had suffered through some miscarriages. She's pregnant right now, not far from delivery, uh, because she believed God, and God has richly blessed her, soon to be with a baby. God is good, amen? So for all the mothers, we're gonna have a special service. God, he, he does it all, amen? Such a great weekend to celebrate the birth and uh, the, sa the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He died on that Friday. He laid in the grave on Saturday. It looked bad, but early on that Sunday morning, man, the tomb began to shake. The stone was rolled away, and out came the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Next week, if you're new here, uh, my wife and I would love to meet you. We're going to have coffee and some refreshments at uh, 2.30, between 2.30 and 2.45, and uh, we'd love for you to come out. And, uh, and just meet. We would like to meet with you. Amen? I am starting a series today on Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. What greater subject than can we talk about than Jesus? Isn't that right? He's my favorite subject. He's my favorite person. He's my all in all, my Savior, the one I can't wait to spend eternity with. And so we're going to begin today with the subject of Jesus. And the title of the message today is Jesus, Myth, Legend or Savior? Jesus, myth, legend, or Savior. You may not know this, but Jesus is actually preached about by the Muslims. He's preached about by pretty much every religion, but only Christianity sees him as the true son of the living God and Savior of the world, and that is accurate. So we're going to go to a strange passage today. Welcome, everyone, our online campus. We thank you for joining us. And uh, stay tuned in. You're going to be very blessed by a relevant word today. I've got a very strange passage to come to you as far as the resurrection goes. But if you'll stick with me, I think it's going to flesh out and you'll, you'll catch on very quick to where I'm going with this. Jesus, myth, legend, or Savior. Just say that with me. Jesus, myth, legend, or Savior. If you will, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. If you've got version, you can pull up the version notes on your phone and you can save those and refer back to them at another time. We also, uh, for those of you that may not know, these are recorded live. You can live stream on this uh, through Facebook and YouTube, which many people are watching me right now or listening uh, online. But you can go back and watch that and, and share that and and. It's not uncommon before the end of the week, we have 200 and something views from our Facebook and not counting YouTube, so a lot of people are watching us. I'm told on, we're on Spotify now, that's right. We're on Spotify, and we have two people in South Africa that apparently listen to us every week. How cool is that? We're worldwide ministry now, amen. Welcome to you from South Africa. We, we love you, and we're glad you're with us. All right. John chapter 21, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, if you're new to church or you're new 
here. You say, why are we standing again? We're doing calisthenics. What's happening here? We just do this in honor of God's word. John chapter 21, verse 1 through 17. Again, it's going to be a strange passage for an Easter message, but hang with me and, and you'll, you'll catch where I'm going. After these things, after what things? After Jesus was suffered and died and was buried and rose from the dead, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Basically, I'm devastated. I'm disappointed. I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to go back to what I've always done. They said to him, well, we're going with you also. Some of them weren't even fishermen. He, he's, he's turned them all now. <laughs> they went out and immediately got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. This is very important to the story. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits or about 100 yards, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. Everybody say 153. I'll circle back to this and tell you the importance of why that's in the Bible here in just a little bit. So it says 153, um, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So... When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that you were raised from the dead. And because of that, we have hope. And now, as you've laid this on my heart, I pray, God, you speak right through me today, God. Not one word of my own, but every word from the throne of God into our hearts. Lord, let it grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. Give us understanding of the gospel today in a way maybe that we have never seen before. I pray, God, you would anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And I thank you for this opportunity. And we give you this in Jesus' name. We ask you to speak to us now. In Christ's name, everybody said amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you might have. We make a little pledge here. And uh, just simply goes like this. Heavenly Father, today, this week, by your grace... I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body 
to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. If you got a green bracelet on, high five somebody. If not, do an air high five. Say, hey, I'm glad you're in church today. Come on, look to somebody else and say, hey, I'm glad you're here today. I'm so glad you chose to be with us today on this Easter afternoon. Beautiful day. Point number one is this. I'm coming right out of the gate with some points here today. And that is Jesus paid the price for you. Point number one is Jesus paid the price for you. Did you know he bought you and paid a price for you? Tom was all excited about his new little boat. Went down by the river, carefully placed it in the water. He let it out slowly with a string. And he was basking in the sun, looking at this little boat that he himself had built. Sailing so smoothly. He was enjoying the afternoon until a strong current came and pulled a big tug on that little boat. The line tightened and Tom was fighting for his boat, pulling that string against that current until the string snapped. Down the stream it went. Tom went running along the shore as fast as he possibly could to keep up, but he couldn't keep match with the, the force and the volume and the speed of that river. And it got out of sight. He looked for it the rest of the day until right around dark, went home, sad, depressed. He'd lost his brand new boat that he built. For a couple days, he went around mully grubbing until he was on his way home from school. And he looked in the store window and saw a boat that looked like the one he built. He got excited thinking, could it possibly be? He went over to the window, and as he looked, sure enough, it was the boat he built. He was so excited. Little Tommy ran in there. He told the store clerk, he said, sir, he said, that boat in the window right over here, he said, that's mine, I made it. The store clerk said, well, I'm sorry, son, somebody else brought it in today, and if you want it back, you're going to have to pay me a dollar for it. This was years ago. He ran home, gathered up all the change he could find that he had in his piggy bank, looked through the cushions of the couch, turning the house upside down until he found exactly a dollar. He ran back with all his power, all his might, as fast as he could, hoping that no one had bought his boat before he could get there. Sure enough, it was still in the window. He went in, put his dollar on the table. The clerk said, it's all yours. He walked out of there holding his boat like he had just gotten his prized possession back. And he said, now you're twice mine. First I made you, and now I bought you. And I want to tell you that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and I. God made all of us. He created all of us in his image. And guess what? Just like that little boat, the streams of life started carrying us away. Maybe by our own decisions. Maybe by things that we've done. Sinful choices that we have made. And we went on our way. The string, the connection between us and God was broken. Down the streams of life we were gone until one day. God sent his son Jesus Christ to repair that breach. God sent his son Jesus with the blood that would be shed on Calvary to pay the price for our sin. And he bought us back. And just like that little boat, first he made us. <laughs> and now he bought us. Somebody say amen. When we come to Jesus Christ in repentance, that's what he does for you and I. He not only forgives us, he buys us back. We were purchased. Everybody say, I'm purchased. That is the message of Jesus and the cross. That's the message for those that repent. Matthew 3, 1 through 2 says, Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent. Everybody say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the first message of the New Testament. 
His, Jesus' first recorded message. Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, everybody say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The purpose of repentance is not to make someone mad. It's not to make someone feel bad. It's not the, oh, he's preaching about repentance. Repentance is about redemption. It's about coming to God and being bought back, restored to our original owner, our original creator, and right relationship with God Almighty. That's the good news. The good news is repentance. Somebody say amen. You see, Jesus, God forgives us. When we cry out to God to forgive us, he forgives us because he paid the price for us. Imagine if you're in a vehicle and you're on a trip. And you're a little town, oh, I don't know, maybe Ludowissi, Georgia. Ludowissi, Georgia is known as a speed trap down there by the Okefenokee Swamp. I know I'm throwing stuff out you. I'm a Georgia boy. I know y'all, I don't know where this guy's coming up with this stuff. It's real stuff, believe me. And you don't know that if you're speeding there, it's a billion-dollar fine. Well, you're not Donald Trump, and you're not Bill Gates. So they tell you, according to the law of Ludowissi, Georgia, you go to prison until you can pay your fine. You stand before the judge, and you say, Judge, I'm really, really sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. He says, well, I can appreciate the fact that you're sorry, but you still broke our law. You still violated what our city goes by, so I'm sorry, but you have to go to prison until you pay your fine. You say, well, I, I can't possibly pay that fine. There's no way. He says, well, then you're going to prison till the day you die. You say, but wait a minute, judge. I didn't know the laws of the land. I didn't understand. He says, well, he says, I'm sorry, but when you drive through our town, you need to know the laws of our town, and I'm sorry as I can be, but that's the law, and that's the way we got to go. He says, wait a minute, judge. I heard you're a good judge. Be, be merciful to me. Come on. I, I, you're a good judge. He says, by definition of you calling me a good judge means I judge by the law, and the law says you're guilty. You run out of pleas. Just about the time that he's about to take the gavel and hit it down on there, a man who lives in the town that doesn't like the law comes in, and he has $100 billion. He says, wait, judge, and he's waving a checkbook. He sits down and he writes out a billion dollar check and he says, here judge, I'm going to pay his fine. The judge looks at you and says, well, you're free to go. Your fine has been paid. Folks, they got to go free not because he was really sorry, not because he was remorseful or didn't know or understand the law. He got to go free because the, pay, the fine was paid. In the same way, you can be really sorry over your sin. But when you repent and you ask Jesus to come into your heart as your Lord and Savior, he forgives you, God the Father does, because he paid the fine of your guilty sin. A fine you and I couldn't pay. Can we give Jesus a hand clap of praise? That's what Jesus did for us. He paid the price of sin for us. Point number two is this. Jesus will resurrect you. At this point in the story, he will resurrect you. Everybody say that with me. He will resurrect me. At this point in the story in John 21, he has already been tortured. He's already suffered. He's already been beaten. He's already died. He's been scourged. He's, he's been buried. And he has now been raised from the dead. The, 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 the first verse in John 21 says, after these things. Everybody say, after these things. 
After what things? After his death. After the scourging. He got whipped on his back with 39 whips. And they had pieces of metal and stone and glass in there that would rip the skin out and tear flesh out. He had been, he had been crown of thorns on his head. I mean, everything that could possibly happen to a person. His beard plucked out. I mean, you can imagine it. It happened to him. He's been beaten, humiliated, nailed to a cross, suffered and died, buried. And he is now raised from the dead. And by John 21, Simon Peter is thoroughly confused. He's humiliated. He's embarrassed. He is ashamed. The disciples are confused. Nobody has a clue what is going on. Everything they believed about Jesus had come crashing down. Have you ever been to that place before? Have you ever been to the place before where everything you believed God was going to do, it didn't happen, and it left you bewildered, it left you confused, it left you not understanding what just happened. You feel as though you've been in a washing machine twirling around, you come out, your head is spinning, and you say, what just happened to me? I think like the whole world that happened last year during COVID, isn't that right? They thought he would set up an earthly reign and kingdom and overthrow Rome then. But now everything they believed and thought, he's dead and in the grave. And they don't understand what's happened. The disciples, including Simon Peter, were disappointed. They were confused. They're bewildered. Have you ever been to that place in life before? Where you get thrown a curveball and you think, what just happened? On top of that, Simon Peter is dealing in John chapter 21 with his denial of Jesus Christ. In Mark 14, 27 through 30, Jesus said, strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to bail. And, and, and they're going to run for their lives. And oh, by the way, Simon Peter, before the rooster crows two, uh, three times, you're gonna, or twice, you're going to deny me three times. Simon Peter bows up. He says, no, not me. I'll die for you. And all the disciples say, yes, I'm going to die for you. And Jesus says, well, it ain't going to work that way. And watch what happens in Luke 22. 54 through 62, you can see it on the screen. Having arrested him, Jesus, they led him and brought him to the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. First denial. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you are also one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. Second denial. Then after almost an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow is with him, for he's a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are saying. Third denial. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. But watch what Luke points out that the other gospels don't. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you know me. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. When he denied him the third time, him and Jesus made eye contact. He said, I don't even know this guy. And Jesus just looks over right him eyeball to eyeball. Wow. He's embarrassed. He's humiliated. In the other gospels, he's pronounced a self-curse of doom on his life. He walks out, runs out, weeps bitterly because he is so embarrassed. He's got to deal with the fact of denying Christ while viewing him face to face. See, our sin, we do things to sin, and we don't look Jesus eyeball to eyeball. So we're embarrassed of our sin sometimes. But then, we, how can you imagine if Jesus was there in the flesh looking you eyeball to eyeball as he's denying him? 
Think about this, the humiliation, the embarrassment, the conviction, the downright shame that he had. It reminds me of an elderly woman who went to the grocery store shopping. She came out, went to her car, and saw four men getting in her vehicle. She dropped her groceries, reached into her purse, pulled out a small firearm that she used for protection. She ran to the front of that car with fire in her eyes. She pointed that gun at those men and she started screaming at the top of her lungs. You better get out of my car. I'll blow your brains out. I mean, little old lady. She said, I know how to use it. And don't you test me and think I won't. I'll shoot you. Well, didn't take much convincing. Four doors flung open. These men went scrambling, running for their lives with everything they had. Hands in the air, zigzagging, running for their lives. She's standing there trembling with the gun, shaking with her knees, but trying to keep her composure. When she was sure that the men were not going to come back and they were long gone, she put her gun back. She went and got her groceries, put it in the back seat of the car. She sat down in the front seat, and she thought for a second. She said, I, I got to go to the police station. I got to tell them about these people trying to steal my car. It was only then to her horror that she realized when the key wouldn't work in the ignition that she was in the wrong car. Her car looked exactly the same as their car, only four spaces over in the same aisle in the same parking lot. She's embarrassed. She's humiliated. She sits there. She tries to calm down, and she says, Well, I need to go to the police station and confess what I've done. She kept... She, goes and gets her groceries out of their car, goes over to her car, puts them in the back seat of the car, and away to the police station she goes. She's spilling her guts over to the sergeant who begins to belly laugh in her face. When he finally calms down enough, he points to the end of the counter with four very shaken men who have come in to report a car jacking by a crazy, mad, elderly woman with a gun in their face. And of course, she apologizes. The misunderstanding is thrown under the rug and all as well. But listen, Simon Peter's humiliated. Have you ever been to the place where you've been totally embarrassed? Have you ever been to the place where you've been humiliated over something you've done, maybe to God or to someone else? He is, in a sense, dead. He is dead spiritually. He is dead to remorse. But I want to tell you that just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he will raise us from spiritual death. He will resurrect us. And this whole story, John 21, I'm going to flesh out for you, is all about Jesus resurrecting Simon Peter back from spiritual death, back from his shame, back from his humiliation, because Jesus didn't just nail our sins to the cross, he nailed our shame to the cross as well. Somebody say amen. And not only did he do it for Simon Peter, but he'll do it for you and I. The Bible says 153 fish. Everybody say 153. Why is that in there? Did God just decide to throw a weird fact in there just because and it's in the Bible? No, 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 a thousand times. Though, If you study this out, you will find that at the time of Jesus Christ that they believed there were 153 different types of fish in the Sea of Galilee. You know what Jesus was doing? He was saying, my kingdom is for everybody because 
in those different fish, there were bottom dwellers, there were top dwellers, there were shallow end dwellers, there were deep dwellers, there were fish of all kinds, there were some that ate fresh uh, 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 food, there were some that had, ate off the bottom, there was all kinds of different colors, there were different kinds of creeds of, shit, of fish, there were all kinds of different ones. You know what Jesus was saying when he pulled in the 153? In my kingdom, everybody's welcome. All colors, all shapes, all sizes, all cultures, all races. Everybody's welcome in the kingdom of God. Woo! That's what Jesus did. Until we come into a relationship with Jesus, we are the walking dead. We are left to live in self-pity and remorse. We are left to just exist and not live. Listen, if you don't have Jesus in your life as your Lord and Savior, you're not living, you're existing. You're a dead man walking. In Florida, when a man is going from his cell to the electric chair to die, the prisoners will say, dead man walking. He may be walking now, but he ain't about to be. He's a dead man walking. And I want to tell you, without Jesus Christ in your life as Lord and Savior, you're a dead person walking. That's why, that's why you feel that hole. That's why you feel that void in your life. That's why you wonder something's missing. That's why you're always searching, searching for something or someone to make you happy. That's why some of you, some listening to me now, have searched for everything. You have thought, well, if I can just get the next new automobile, that will make me happy. If I can just have that beautiful house, that will make it, that'll do it for me. If I can buy the next dress or the next, the next item or the next fun toy or the next materialistic thing, that's going to do it only to get it and realize it doesn't do anything. Perhaps there's some of you in here and you've thought, I, I know it's the next boyfriend. It's the next girlfriend. That's why you've been from relationship to relationship to relationship. Because you're looking for Jesus to fill something in you that only he can and someone else who can't. And so your latest ride or die, well, guess what? Die. Your latest ride or die, hot chick or hunk of a guy, will leave you wanting. Why? Because they can't possibly scratch the itch going on inside of you. And that's why you see people hop from this thing to that thing. Oh, I know if I can just get this promotion or over at this job. And then you see them. They change job after job after job after job. And they're all over the map. Why? Because they're looking for answers in all the wrong places. I want to tell you, you want to scratch the itch. You want to fill the void and fill the hole. Give your whole life truly to Jesus Christ. And you will never be wanting again. Somebody say amen. Point number three is this. Jesus will rescue you. Not only did he pay for you, not only will he uh, resurrect you, he will rescue you. Everybody say, he will rescue me. Look what it says in John 21, 6 through 7. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it because the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it. And he plunged into the sea. John remembers. Watch this. John says, huh, it's just now dawning on me. Three years ago, when Jesus asked us to be his followers and his disciples, he told us, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and we pulled in a haul of fish. 
Peter, it just happened again. It's the Lord. Do you know what Jesus was doing? He was putting them right back in the same spot, in the same place, in the same circumstance, in the same setting as at the first. In other words, you guys followed me for three years, but you bailed on me. But guess what? I'm going to bring you right back to the beginning again. It's a sign of like in golf, if you're not a professional golfer, you hit a bad shot, you say, I'm going to take a mulligan, right? It's not technically allowed, but amateur golfers do it all the time. I'm going to take my mulligan. This I don't like that shot. I want to do over. What Jesus is doing right here is he's about to say, Simon Peter, not just you, but all you yellow bellies are about to get a start over. Somebody say amen. Jesus is the king of do-over. Somebody say amen. So Simon Peter, the Bible says, he jumps out of the boat and he heads for Jesus Christ. I'd like to know, why does he do that? Why didn't he just wait for the boat to come in? I have a few questions about that. And so perhaps he thinks, well, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so humiliated of what I've done. I'm so ashamed of my sin. And I feel separated from God. I just want to get back in the right place with him. I just want to be back in his presence. Or perhaps Simon Peter is thinking, well... I better get on over there and take my tongue lashing now in private before all the boys get over. <laughs> I don't want to get chewed out in front of everybody else. Maybe Simon Peter is expecting to hear Jesus say, you yellow-bellied coward. You sold me out, brah. You weasel. In my darkest hour, you bailed on me. And I'm not happy. I'm ticked off. I think that's maybe Simon Peter. Maybe he even looked and said, he, Peter was probably thinking, he's probably going to, well, at least Judas hung himself. Look at you coming back to me like this. He gets to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is unlike any beach shore here. It's rocky, wet, cold. For those of you that have been to Israel with me, you know what I'm talking about. And as he approaches, won't you check this out? He finds a charcoal fire. Now, there are only two places in the entire New Testament with a charcoal fire. It just so happens that a few days earlier, Simon Peter is sitting at a charcoal fire at Caiaphas' house, and he's denying Jesus Christ. Now, all of a sudden, he comes to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus, who is recreating things for him, has a charcoal fire. Can you see Simon Peter as he locks eyes with that charcoal fire? His mind goes back to a few days earlier where he's denying Jesus Christ. And just like a few days earlier where he locked eyes with Christ, as he looks at the fire on the Sea of Galilee, he now looks Jesus eyeball to eyeball. And guess what? They're eye to eye over a charcoal fire again. Again, there's only two places in the New Testament you find it. Do you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus recreates Simon Peter's darkest and deepest betrayal that in the context of this passage receives the deepest grace. Woo! On one hand, Jesus is reminding Simon Peter how undeserving he is. On the other hand, Jesus is saying to Simon Peter, My grace and my forgiveness I am willing to give you even though you betrayed me. Whoo, somebody say amen. He is rescuing Simon Peter. And guess what? He'll recreate things in our life to bring us back so that we'll cry out for mercy to receive his grace. He reaches out to find us. And he rescues us. I know what I'm talking about. I did it all. I got drunk a lot. 
Smoked dope, some, not a lot, but some. I lost $7,000 gambling in one week. I, I stole cable. I stole baseball cards out of stores. I remember when I really got saved, I felt so convicted about it, but I was afraid to go tell the shop owner because I thought he'd call the cops on me. So I, I went and snuck into the store without him knowing what was going on. I looked at the price and I calculated about how much money it would be how many packs of baseball cards I stole and went and put over that amount plus tax in a little envelope in the middle of the night with a little letter that said, man, I stole baseball cards from you. I feel terrible. I gave my life to Jesus Christ, but I'm afraid to show my face to you, but I do want to pay for them. So here's the money. And I slid it under the shop door because <laughs> I wanted to make things right. Y'all are looking at me like, man, this guy's our pastor. <laughs> Some of you visitors are like, I don't know about this church. <laughs> how, ma- how, many, how many ex-thieves do we have in the house? Raise it up. How many, how many old drunkards? Keep it raised up. Oh, we're going somewhere. How many old drunkards do we have in the house? Come on. How many honky-tonkers do we have in the house? Raise, keep it raised up. Keep it raised up. If you raise your hand at all, keep it raised. Raise, raise it up. Just like Simon says. Simon says, raise it up. Amen. Right? How, how, many of you had, uh, you, how many of you lied before? How many of you lied? Okay. If your hand's not raised, you're lying now. So go on and raise it. Amen? That is... Ooh, I wasn't scared till now. Now I'm kind of scared. Ooh, listen. My point is, we've all done it all. You see the beautiful table set before us. It's a reminder of the Passover dinner. The bread for the communion, the wine for the communion. You see the beautiful table is set. I have a question. Did Jesus Christ really catch, clean, and cook fish for himself? By him, not for himself, but cooked those fish himself for these disciples who had just rejected him and run from him in his worst hour. Did Jesus Christ really catch, clean, and cook fish for these guys who bailed on him in his worst hour? Those nail-scarred hands cooked breakfast and brought redemption. Does Christ really do stuff like this for you and I? Even when we have our deepest, darkest betrayal of Jesus Christ, does he really provide our every need? Yes. Even when we betray him the most, he is still willing to provide our needs. Woo! Somebody say amen. He did it for me, and he'll do it for you. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. And that leads me to point number four, my last point, and that is this. Jesus will restore you. You're going to love this part of the message. Everybody say, he'll restore me. In verse 15, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Do you love me? Yes. And they go back and forth three times until verse 17, the final time, the final answer. I love this. Three times he asked him, after three times he denied him. Three times, Jesus, watch this, not only is willing to forgive him, but recommissions him for ministry. Each of the three betrayals deepens Simon Peter's guilt, his remorse, his condemnation. But watch this. Each of the three moments of love reiterates Simon Peter's call to the ministry. Do you know what Jesus is doing? He is restoring every part of Simon Peter's life. Even his calling when he thought he blew it forever. 
Listen, he could believe God for restoration in some areas of his life, but not in this area. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but I believe somebody's either in here or online. And you think, well, I can believe God can forgive me of these things, but not this. Simon Peter believed it. Listen, God's grace is greater than your deepest, darkest sin. One of my mentors went fishing. And he tells the story how he got the line stuck. He's in a lake, a pond slash lake in Florida. And he's fishing. And he got it stuck. He thought, oh, great. I'm on a stump. And he's going to have to cut the line. But he said he felt a little moving of it. And he thought, well, let me just see if I can wiggle it free. And, he, and he's wiggling. He can feel a little moving. And finally it released. And he pulls it up. And it's this old rod and reel. This old rod and reel evidently got somehow fallen to the water left the bottom of that pond and over the years it was just barely over the mud and muck but it was just it was a muddy gunky mess he almost threw it overboard he thought well I'll just hang on to it maybe I can clean it up and he took it home and he took the water hose and he sprayed it down and he would spray and gunk and goo and mud would come out of that reel and off that rod and he just kept working it and working it and he would scrub it down and he would and he would squirt it, and he'd scrub it down, he'd squirt it and scrub it down, and he'd get tired, and he'd put it back in the garage. And I'll finish this story in a minute. But I want to tell you, Jesus does the same for you and I. Even those areas of our life that we have think we have messed up so bad that there is no hope, those are the areas that Jesus will resurrect. Those are the areas Jesus will fix. He'll resurrect. He'll clean. He'll rescue. He'll restore that area of our life. I have a question for you. What area of your life do you think God can't restore? A relationship with someone? Forgiveness for your wrongs? That thing that you did that you feel is so unforgivable, it's nothing for God's grace. A dream that you once had that now seems forever lost. You think, dream. <laughs> That's them days are over. A calling you thought you once could operate in? There is nothing. Listen, there is nothing that Jesus Christ cannot restore in your life. Nothing. Somebody say amen. amen. Not only is Simon Peter forgiven of his sins, he is now recommissioned for Christ's ministry. You've got to know that when you repent of your sins before God, not only does God forgive you, God will take you and use you in the ministry to win other people to Christ, to do great things for his kingdom. Why? Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Somebody shout amen. You know what, you know what Jesus is doing? He is restoring Simon Peter's whole life. Whole. W-H-O-L-E. He wants to make him whole. He's bringing him back to the beginning and he's making everything brand new. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that's what Easter is all about. God willing to bring us back to the beginning and make us new again. That's what Jesus does for us when we give our lives to him. He restores our whole life. Christians believe Jesus can do this when we first get saved. But I'm here to tell you that he'll do this for us even when we're all veterans in Christ. The same grace 
You need to hear this. What he is teaching Simon Peter and the disciples and you and I in this passage is the same grace that forgave you before you were saved is the same grace that forgives you after you're saved. Woo! Jesus' restoration doesn't just happen for us when we get saved and that's it. He is willing to do that a whole lifetime. What if Jesus had said, well, I forgive you, but I don't want to see your face. Go on back fishing. Matter of fact, don't even fish in the Sea of Galilee. Go to the other side of the earth. I don't want to see you again. No, that's not what Jesus does. We are called into the ministry, watch this, not because of our talents or our abilities or anything to do with us. We are called and used of God in ministry because of his grace. My mentor would continue working on that old rusty rod and reel. It wouldn't crank. It couldn't get it to move. It was so full of dirt and grime and junk. And he'd work and he'd work and finally he'd loosen up and it'd work a little and he'd try to go fish. He couldn't. He kept working. He said, I worked for hours, days. And he finally cleaned it up with enough lubricant and enough cleaning solvent and so forth that he was able to go out and he used it and kind of rough, didn't work still as well. And so he'd take it back and he'd work and he'd work until finally one day he was able to cast with that old rod and reel and fish smoothly. It turned out to be his favorite rod and reel. It was his most special Rod and reel to that fisherman. Do you know why? Because he had poured his heart, his soul, and his love into restoring that rod and reel. Listen, you may be here today and you're looking at your sin all the wrong way. You may be looking and saying, well, he don't want me now. He ain't going to want me now. He ain't going to accept me now. Listen, that's not the way God looks at it. He says, I'll clean you out. And when you're down on the bottom of that lake, in the, in the bottom of that murky, nasty pond of life, when you are covered up in grime and the gears of the rod and reel, and you're filled with gunk and grime and grease and nasty, and you've been to jail or arrested like I have, and you've done all these things, and you think, how could God ever, why would he even want me here? I no, he'll take me, but he'll put me in the shed in the backyard and hope nobody looks at me. Uh uh, that's not what God does. When he gets you and he's done working with you, he wants you out to show you to all the world and say, Look what I can do. I did it for Dallas Howard and I'll do it for you. <laughs> Woo! That's how God feels about us. Somebody say, Amen. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Almost done. 2 Corinthians 5.18. This is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you know what reconciliation means? It means exchange, atonement, restoration. In other words, Jesus said, here's what I'm going to do. Dallas, I'm going to take the mess of a life you created and all the grime and gunk and dirt of life and the bottom of the lake you've been living in. I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to clean you up. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make an exchange. I'm going to take all your dirty sin, the stuff you're embarrassed about, you're humiliated and wouldn't want to tell nobody, and I'm going to take that on me and nail it to the cross. And in return, I'm going to give you peace and love and joy, and most important, I'm going to pour my grace on you and my blood on you, which washes it all away. So I'm going to 
to take your mess and I'm going to give you my perfection. Somebody say amen. I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my mercy. I'm going to give you my love. Who wouldn't want to serve Jesus Christ? Everything we have is because of the grace of God and the grace of God alone. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, 4, by grace. Everybody say grace. grace. You have been what? Saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, you can't do enough good works, you can't pray enough prayers, you can't all the, oh, I'm going to do all this so that I can be right with God. No, you just make the exchange. You say, Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. I repent. Will you please take the grime and the dirt? I don't know. Nobody else would want me, but if you'll take me, I'm yours. And he smiles and he says, yes. Yes, I've been waiting on you to come to me. Don't worry about it. But I, let me get myself cleaned up. No, no, no. You're not able to clean yourself up. I got to pull you out of the miry clay. I got to clean you up. I'll get you running again smoothly. You just come to me and I'll make the great exchange. Woo! In closing, there was a survey done. It's one of my favorite things I've ever run across. What are the three favorite sayings that Americans want to hear? They surveyed thousands of Americans. What are the three favorite sayings that Americans want to hear? You want to hear the top three? I feel like David Letterman. Not ten, but three. You ready? I love you. I forgive you. Supper's ready. Do you know that's what Jesus was doing for Simon Peter here? And do you know that's what he does for us? Folks, that survey is the New Testament message. Jesus saying to us today, I love you. I forgive you. Supper's ready. Who wouldn't want to serve a God like that? I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Look, Jesus doesn't need to be sold or... I've preached the gospel. If you're in here under the sound of my voice and you say, Pastor, or if you're online, online campus right now, and you say, Pastor, I, I just don't... I've never understood the gospel like that. I do have deep, dark, heinous sins. Stuff I would be so humiliated if someone found out. I've done so much wrong. I, I don't even know where to begin. I just feel like that rod and reel at the bottom of that muck of that pile. I feel like the elderly lady with the gun ashamed of what I've done. I feel like Simon Peter. I don't even know what to do with my life. I'm, I'm turned around. But Jesus, if you'll have me, if you'll do the things you said, the preacher said today, I believe you paid the price for me. I believe you'll resurrect me from spiritual death. I believe you'll restore me. Will you do that? Will you, will you do that for me? If you'll pray that prayer, he'll do it right now. He'll make the great exchange. that's you, I don't want you to lily limp it, just hold your hand up high in the air right now and say, that's me, Pastor. 
God bless you. God bless you. There's at least two. Is there anybody else? Hallelujah. Mm. I want you to pray this prayer. Is there anybody else? Maybe you're online watching right now, and that's you. We're going to give you an opportunity to text the word believe here in a second. But for the, for the precious two people that said, Pastor, I'm like you. That's me. I need Jesus. I want everybody to pray with me right now. Just say, Heavenly Father. Come on, just, just pray it out. Heavenly Father, I ask you to take this mess of a life and what I've created. Take me as yours. Please forgive me of all my wrongs. Rescue me. Restore me. Clean me from the inside out with your precious blood. I am now yours and you are mine. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Hallelujah. Can we give God a hand clap of praise? Come on, two precious, precious people. You say, Pastor, it can't possibly be that easy. It is that easy. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They're going to sing a song I want you to worship with. But before you do, if you're new here or you're just recently saved, if you got saved and you're at home or watching online, just text the word to believe to the number on the screen. Let us know that you did. But... I've got something here that's a powerful tool for you in your walk, your new walk with Christ. It's called the Purple Book, and we have mentors ready to mentor you. It'd be like you hiring an electrician to come in and fix the electric. You don't understand it, but that electrician can walk you through and explain it to you and help you, or the car mechanic, or something you're unfamiliar with, and they can help you understand things. That's what we want to give to you. This is free. It doesn't cost anything. It's a great, great privilege to be to be ministered to and poured into by someone. If, if you would like to be in the purple book, there'll be someone out in the lobby and you can sign up. We'll assign you a, a mentor, someone who's walked with God for 40, 50 years, and they're going to pour their knowledge of Christ into you and help you answer all the questions you have. Somebody say amen.